Hello, and welcome to Stupendous Stories, Fear, for October 9th, 2020. I'm your host, Thomas Cavazos, and this week's episode is The House of Butterflies. I'd worked for the company for about a year when the Bridge Brothers bought it. One cool September day, once we'd all punched in for the morning shift, Mr. Tetrali came out of his office and told us to gather around for a meeting. He told us that the factory was being retooled, and instead of paint, we were going to be manufacturing some secret new chemical that would help make the world a better place. That meant new equipment, new procedures, new product, new quotas, new this, new that. But it was all the same old jazz to us. Punch in, do the work, go home, repeat. Nothing ever changed. A month later, Bill died screaming in a straitjacket. He'd come into work looking pale, and he snapped at anyone that tried to talk to him. Before we even took our lunch break, he was pounding on Mr. Tetrali's office door, yelling at him, I know what you did! I know what you did to me! So Mr. Tetrali called the cops, and they showed up and busted Bill over the head, and they hauled him off. The next day, Bill's mother came by the factory to see if anyone knew why Bill hadn't come home the night before. The company gave her the runaround, and by the time she got things sorted out, the city was sending her a notice to come and claim her boy before they put him into a pauper's grave. The next day, the Bridge Brothers sent a representative of theirs to come and talk to everyone. That was also the day the new guys started working at the factory. That morning, there was a man we'd never seen before in Mr. Tetrali's office. He was a fat cat type. You know the sort. Three-piece suit, jolly, slicked-back hair, and the kind of expression that says, I'm just so amused to be here, but also, Christ, I can't believe I have to be here. It was hot inside the factory, and he kept swabbing at his face with a handkerchief produced from his jacket pocket. Okay, everyone, Mr. Tetrali said. Everyone listen, please. This is Mr. Ketterly. He's going to talk to you about what happened with Bill yesterday. Mr. Kettley did a lot of talking about a lot of nothing. Hello, how are you? It's an honor to be here with such hard-working men. We're all proud of you, and so on. When he finally got to the subject of Bill, he told us, Ah, oh, poor Mr. McSweeney. He cleared his throat and swiped at his face with his handkerchief again. Yes, I think it's all too clear what happened to our friend William. He overworked himself, you see. Why... He just loved the company so much that his nose couldn't handle it. It's a tragedy, really. But if you think about it, why, it's also an inspiration. Would that all of us was so devoted to each other and to the company. What a load of bull, someone next to me hissed. I whipped my head around, shocked that someone had the courage to say what we were all thinking. That's how I met the new guy. He was standing there with his cap cocked to the side, and his work shirt undone at the collar. He was handsome, in a Valentino sort of way, but instead of a movie star's smile, his mouth was twisted up in a sneer. What a load of absolute bull, he said again, louder than before. I was shocked no one had reacted to him. He must have sensed me looking at him, because he turned his head to me and said, I mean, can you believe this? Nerves? Loved the company so much he worked himself to death? I don't know about you, but I'd rather they just told us the truth. At least then I wouldn't feel angry and insulted. I'm sorry, have we met? 
That got me an elbow and a shush from one of the men next to me. But my would-be friend just ignored me. His attention was once more locked onto Mr. Kettley. So don't let it get you down. Remember, you're man, and this is a man's undertaking. You must be physically fit. You must wear the appropriate attire. That should be easy enough, right? We're all men here. Admittedly, I felt a twinge of anger at that. Back before the Bridge Brothers bought the company, we never would have been told to be real men and work ourselves to death. The new guy was right. The whole thing was just insulting. I looked around for him so we could commiserate, but he'd slipped away. Once the fat cat left, Mr. Tetrali distributed thick rubber gloves and cup respirators to each of us. You all have to wear these, he stressed to us. If you're inside the factory, you wear the mask. If you're going to touch anything, you wear the gloves. If you don't wear your mask and your gloves, you're fired. If you take your work clothes home, you're fired. Does everyone understand? Everyone understood. The gloves and the mask made doing the job clumsy and slower and even more unpleasant. But we'd all be out of work if we didn't put them on. We'd all been here before. It was work as normal. Then Frank died. Frank was a company man through and through, and he was proud of it. He'd started working at the factory when he was just 12 years old, and he considered his job to be one of the most important things in the world, right up there with his wife, his newborn, and God. He was so chipper at work that we all called him Happy, and he wore that silly nickname as a badge of honor. He lived up to it, too. When the company rolled out some nonsense new policy, he was the one saying it wasn't going to be so bad. When the Bridge Brothers took over the company and we were all worried about losing our jobs. He was the one that believed the company would never let that happen to us. He was just always happy. So it was a shock the day he started sobbing at work. Frank had been working much slower than usual that day. He seemed unfocused, and he scratched at himself and swatted the air like he was being harassed by bugs. When lunchtime came, he was slow to leave his post, and he forgot to bring his lunchbox when he did. When our smoke break came in the afternoon... Frank didn't join us. I made my way out to the smoking shack the company had built for us and found the new guy already there. He was leaning against the wall next to one of the built-in lighters. How's it going, buddy? He asked me, his cigarette dangling lazily between his lips. Doing all right. You? Me, I'm fine. But Happy's looking a little rough, don't you think? I shrugged, not because I thought he was wrong, but because I didn't know what to say. Maybe he's getting sick. Maybe. Some of the other workers were trickling in, and a few of them gave me confused looks when they saw me talking to the new guy. I shrugged it off. The company was pretty small, and it usually took a while for people to warm up to new hires. You've got to watch out, though. Why's that? I asked. The new guy flicked his cigarette to the ground and crushed it under his foot. When he looked at me, his face was dark and his eyes were hard. If one person gets sick... It usually means some other poor saps will, too. When we got back from break, Frank was gone from his station, and there was sobbing coming out of Mr. Tetrali's office. The door was half open, so some of us gathered around to listen. Frank's voice was leaking out, quavering and half-choked. I'm so sorry, Mr. Tetrali. I'm so sorry. It's all right, Frank. Just calm down. You don't have to apologize for anything. I don't know what's wrong with me. I haven't been sleeping well, and my hands are shaking, and I feel like I got fleas from my dog, but there aren't any fleas on me. 
I just don't understand, Mr. Detrolley. I'm sorry I made a mess, Mr. Detrolley. Please don't fire me. I'm not going to fire you, Frank. But I want you to go home, okay? Take a bath or a shower. Put on some clean clothes. Get some fresh air. Spend some time with your boy. And if you feel like you need another day, then you take another day, all right? Don't you come back until you're feeling like happy again. The door swung open, and Frank stood there, his hands in his jacket stained red with dye from the chemicals. He tried to go back to his station to clean up some, but Mr. Detrolley saw him and told him to get changed and go home. That was the last any of us ever saw him. A few days later, his wife came in with her infant son cradled in her arms. Mr. Tetrolli was on the floor wearing his gloves and his mask when the lady came up to him yelling and crying about how Frank had died and what was she supposed to do and what was the company going to do about it. And Mr. Tetrolli just stared, his eyes wide, saying, Ma'am, you can't be in here without a mask. That became, Ma'am, you need to leave. And, Ma'am, we should have this discussion outside. And finally, Ma'am, if you leave right now, I will see to it that you receive a pension equal to Frank's monthly salary every month until your boy is 15. The new guy had been standing by watching the whole thing unfold. Once the lady was gone and Mr. Tetrolli had retreated to his office, the new guy turned to me with those hard eyes of his. You saw what Tetrolli was so afraid of, right? Looked like he didn't want to be the focus of the ruckus that lady was causing. The new guy shook his head. He was looking at her kid. Barely took his eyes off the brat. A cold smirk crossed his face. Now, why do you think that is? A little while after Happy died, we all noticed that Hank had started slacking off at work. He would stand at his station and stare off into nothing. You had to say his name two or three times to get him to pay attention and start minding the pipes and the valves. Eventually, you had to shout at him to get him to look at you. And even then, he'd look at you, but he wouldn't see you. One day we noticed that Hank wasn't working his station, but was just standing there with his mind wandering. He was reaching for something in the empty air above him, grasping with one gloved hand and then the other, laughing softly to himself behind his mask. We all tried to ignore him, but eventually it became too much. Hank? Hank, you alright? No response. Just more giggling. Hank. Hank! He looked up finally, his eyes half-lidded and the corners of a goofy smile visible behind his mask. Hey, fellas, where'd all the butterflies come from? None of us said a word. It only took a few seconds for Hank to lose interest in us and start pawing at the air again like a child. The new guy said, Well, one of you saps better tell to Trolley. After that, Things changed in the factory. Folks started talking less. When they did talk, they fought more. Everyone seemed to be walking around in a daze. Maybe it was because Happy wasn't around to keep our spirits up, but it seemed like something more than that, like a sickness had settled into our souls. The color drained from our faces. Thinking about life outside of the factory became harder. And more and more people started seeing butterflies. So many that I started to wonder if I was the one that had something wrong with him. I voiced this idea to the new guy once in the smoking shack, and he just laughed and laughed. You think you've got something wrong with you? Buddy, you're the only sane one here. 
What about you? He just laughed. What about me? He took a puff of his cigarette and stared off at nothing in particular. You know, I've been doing a little thinking. Yeah? Things started getting weird after the Bridge Brothers bought the company, right? Well, what do they make? I shrugged. I don't know. They haven't told us what we're making, just what to mix together and how much. He shook his head. No, no. You don't know specifically, but you do know generally. I stared back at him, not following his reasoning. The new guy sighed and rolled his eyes. Okay, buddy, think. How did the bridges make their money? I could feel my eyes go wide. Suddenly it made sense. It made perfect sense. Weapons. They made gunpowder and explosives and chemicals. Very good. Which means... Which means they've got us making some kind of weapon. There was something wild in the new guy's eyes, like it was manic thinking that had led him to this realization. That's right. Not chlorine, not phosgene, not mustard gas, but something new. I didn't sleep that night. I just laid in bed, staring at the ceiling and imagining my skin blistering and sloughing off, my lungs turning black, my brain dissolving in my skull, my teeth falling out of my gums. Ernie broke down crying and was taken away. Walt kept getting lost, walking between the factory and the smoking shack, and was taken away. Herb and Joe got in a fistfight on the factory floor and were taken away. Mr. Ketterly came back and gave us all an inspirational speech about the important work we were doing and how proud of us he was for being strong men doing men's work. With more and more of the old-timers gone, I started seeing the new guy on the floor of the factory more often. We talked sometimes about the Bridge Brothers and the deadly chemicals they had us working on, and that would always draw stares from the people around us. They'd fix us with looks of confusion or fear, and I'd have to shoot them a look back that said, Mind your own damn business. Whatever affection I felt for the company vanished after they set us to work making poison, and now there was something about the deference these kids were showing that just infuriated me. Clancy died. Paul died. Jonesy, Simmons, and Dermot all died, all in the same week. Mr. Tetrali started spending more time in his office with the door shut. He'd walk around with the new hires on their first days, but he wouldn't take the time to get to know them. Hiring standards changed, too. No more fathers and husbands. The floor started filling up with older guys and young boys with no kids or wives. If Mr. Tetrali saw anyone without gloves or a respirator, he'd scream at them. If he saw them without gloves or a respirator again, he'd fire them on the spot. The new guy started walking home along the same route as me. He'd share his thoughts the whole way, saying stuff like, You know how the Bridge Brothers got rich, right? Weapons. We've talked about this. No. Murder. They got rich by making people die. Robert died. John died. Chuck died. Frank died. Or maybe Frank had already died. Or maybe it was a new Frank. It was hard to focus sometimes. The new guy stopped following me home, but I started seeing him in my dreams. He would sit on the machines in the factory, wearing his work clothes and grinning, but his smile never reached his eyes. It's a test, buddy, 
he said. All the chemicals, all the deaths, it's all just a test. And buddy, you saps are passing with flying colors. It wasn't too long after that when I started seeing the butterflies too. I couldn't see why Hank was so amused by them. They were hideous, each wing as big as my hands, their bodies as fat as a roll of coins, and they had antennae that they flicked around like a snake's tongue. They were bright red, as red as fresh blood, and they shed some kind of sweet-smelling powder as they fluttered about. The whole factory stunk of it. There were a handful of them flying lazily around outside the factory, but when you went inside, they covered every last surface. You couldn't walk without them crunching underfoot. When you reached out to turn a valve or pull a lever, they hissed and rasped at you. They crawled all over the clothes of the other workers, and when the poor saps opened their mouths wide to yawn or sneeze, the butterflies took it as invitation to climb inside. Every few seconds I had to brush them off me, brush them off the machinery, swath them out of the air as they buzzed around my head, and there were always, always more. You know, they're not really on your clothes in the machines, right, buddy? The new guy asked. He was walking on top of a pipe, his arms out at his sides for balance. If they're not there, why do I feel them? I asked. Doing my job was impossible. The butterflies buzzed around my head, and it took every ounce of my concentration just to focus on what the new guy was saying. Oh, buddy, they're not on your clothes in the machines, but that doesn't mean they're not there. They're just in your brain. A butterfly landed on my arm and I slapped it. It disappeared under my hand, melting into my arm, and I could feel it crawling around under my skin. I could hear someone crying. After a moment, I realized it was me. What's gonna happen to me? Same thing that happened to Bill, buddy. Same thing that happened to Frank. Same thing that happens to everyone that works here. If I left, would I get better? I don't think so, buddy. I don't think there's any fixing things like this once they break. My legs gave out under me. My hands shook. Tears ran down my cheeks, and I could feel butterflies scrambling over my face to lap them up like they were drops of nectar. What do I do? The new guy hopped down from the pipes and landed with the grace of a cat. The way I see it, there's only one thing you can do, buddy. See, the company thinks you're a sap. The Bridge Brothers think you're just a cog in their machine, that they can grind you to dust and then throw you out and replace you. They want you dumb and docile. They're trying to change you into a butterfly, buddy, and they're almost there. You're going to be an insect, and there's no changing that. But you've got a choice. You don't have to be a butterfly. You can be a wasp. It was cold the next day, perfect weather to wear a long coat to work. I walked up to the factory with purpose, like I hadn't in a long time. It was almost too easy to ignore the butterflies as they buzzed around me. I ignored the looks I got as I walked right up to Mr. Tetrali, where he stood checking over a shipment of drums with the company logo on the side. The new guy squatted on top of those barrels, like a dragon guarding his treasure. He regarded me with a grin, his teeth loose in his mouth, and his gums the dull purple of a bruise. Mr. Tetrali, I've got to talk to you. Okay, he said his voice muffled by his respirator. Go get changed and settle in. Let's talk at lunch. Now's better, Mr. Tetrali. He turned away from the drums and looked at me. He looked pale, and his eyes were bloodshot, 
like he hadn't been sleeping well. All right, fine, let's just talk now. We went into Mr. Tetrali's office, and the new guy was in there too, hanging from the ceiling by his hands and feet like a spider. Mr. Tetrali took a seat behind his desk while I lingered in front of the door. There were just a few butterflies inside, but more sneaked in as I shut the door behind us. What did you want to talk about, he said. I want to talk about the butterflies. The butterflies? Yeah, I'm not going to be a butterfly, Mr. Tetrali. I'm going to be a wasp. Look, I've already got a stinger. I opened my coat and pulled out the shotgun I'd hidden underneath it. It had been hard to saw down the barrel and the stock with shaking hands. It had taken me all night, in fact. But that was fine. I hadn't been sleeping much in weeks anyway. Mr. Tetrali just stared up at me from his chair. Tears started to well up in his eyes. I expected him to beg for his life, to threaten me, anything. But he just started saying, I'm sorry, over and over, his voice cracking as he did so. I started to feel uncomfortable. I didn't quite have a plan in mind when I came to the factory, but it didn't feel right to shoot someone in the middle of an apology. The new guy hissed at me. What the fuck are you waiting for, you fucking sap? Blow his fucking brains out while you've still got some brains of your own. But I couldn't do it. What are you apologizing for, Mr. Tetrali? I asked. I told them. I told them the chemicals were making people sick, but they just said that there were deadlines and, and quotas and earning reports. I said that I would quit, and they told me that they'd just hire someone else, someone who wouldn't care about you boys at all. My temper flared like a stoked furnace. You told them? You told the company? Why didn't you tell us? We could have all threatened to quit together. We could have formed a union. We could have done something other than die like guinea pigs. I took a deep breath. What kind of weapon have they got us making anyway? It's not a weapon, Mr. Tetrali choked out. It's fuel. They're going to put it in cars and airplanes. That cut through the anger and the fog of the cloud in my mind. Why would... But it's making us crazy. It's killing us. I know. I know. Then why would they put it in cars? Because they only care about the money, the new guy roared. A butterfly buzzed by my head, and I nearly pulled the shotgun's trigger as I jumped. Because they only care about the money, Mr. Tetrali said, his voice a choked whisper. They did the math. They showed me. Once people start putting this in their cars, once everyone in America is driving around with this shit, hell, once everyone in the world is, they're going to make so much money. I stood there dumbfounded. The shotgun felt too heavy to hold up, and I let it drop to my side. I could see it in my head. Blood-red butterflies pouring out of the tailpipes of cars. Airplanes dropping them like leaflets all across the country. Insects crawling in and out of the mouths and nose of men, of women, of children, of babies. Well, the new guy began, what are you waiting for? What are you going to do? It's too much, I said. I don't know what to do. You can still do something, the new guy said. If you can't be a wasp, you can at least be a honeybee. What does that mean? I said. Mr. Tetrali looked up from his desk, his eyes red and puffy and filled with confusion. 
The new guy let go of the ceiling. He floated in the air, slowly riding himself until his feet were dangling and his arms were outstretched at his side. Great gossamer wings unfurled from his back and spread until they filled the room. It means you can still get in one good sting before you die. Are you okay? Mr. Tetrali asked. I was not. My mouth tasted like metal. My vision blurred. The sound of beating wings filled my ears, and everywhere I could feel the butterflies crawling all over me. I'm sorry I was going to shoot you, Mr. Tetrali. But I need you to do me a favor. I need you to call up Mr. Ketterly and tell him to come to the factory right away. Tell him there's a bug problem. This concludes The House of Butterflies. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week.